Here's your weekly dose of Uncommon Sense with Cass. Brought to you by College of the Ozarks. Developing citizens of Christ-like character who are well-educated, hardworking, and patriotic. On 93.3 and AM 560, KWTO. We're back with more Uncommon Sense with Cass. I have a friend on the line to discuss so many things with me. His name is Jake Loft, and he is my friend from the northern part of the state of Missouri. And he is a fellow young Republican. He also um, he is in the political scene, so he works campaigns, and he does finance stuff, and he does all sorts of politico things. I don't even know what to call that. Um, but I'm going to let him introduce himself to you and just kind of give his brief bio and, you know, what he is an expert in. Good morning, Jake. Good morning, Cass. Thanks for having me on your show. Um, for the listeners, uh, my name is Jake Loft. I uh, work in a lot of forms of politics. A lot of it is advertising, some of it's campaigns. Um, I used to live in D.C., I worked with federal stuff a lot, and now I'm back in Missouri looking to uh, slowly take the state over with my brand of uh, online advertising. (laughs) Um, uh, Infiltrate. um, Yes, it's going to be great. Uh, So stay tuned for for big stuff coming up here. Um, But now I'm ready to focus my my efforts on the great state of Missouri. I'm not from the northern side. It's in the center. St. Louis is not north. Still Missouri, depending on who you ask. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. You're a Missouri person instead of Missouri. That surprises me, especially because you're from St. Louis. Yeah, well, you know, I think I really have my ears to, the, or my, uh, my, my hand on the pulse of the people of Missouri. Uh, <laughs> you sound like you're running for just, office, Jake. <laughs> maybe I am. Not yet, though. I'm a little young for that. But uh, I have before. Uh, there was uh, my, my failed city council campaign in, in uh, Columbia when I was in college. Did you was, really? Uh, I didn't know that. Uh, I was a real fish out of water there. Uh, it, <laughs> Especially in <laughs> Colombia, the People's Republic of. <laughs> yeah, the, the brand of Colombia is like Portland. It's the Portland of, 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 that's Missouri. If you walk around saying Missouri there, they'll slap you. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're, we're out there. We're raising minimum wages. We're, we're banning um, leaf blowers. They're... <laughs> They were they were like the frontier of raising the age to buy tobacco to twenty one. That was one of my one of my key issues whenever I was in college. Like the, you cannot take away the rights of the people. I and was in college when that happened too, and all of the guys who you know I went to college in Southwest Missouri, Missouri, whatever you want to call it, and so all of my fellow college guys who would dip and stuff and they all of a sudden they couldn't dip anymore and the world was ending as we knew it because they had to suddenly wait two more years again yeah, i've never seen anything like it it's i always, I always saw when the revolution happened it's going to be over municipal parking enforcement um but i, I think we, we <laughs> you think you take away the nicotine and the people go wild that's one thing they can all unite on you see you should have seen the like organic smoking sections that um developed at at Missouri. I was going to the University of Missouri at the time, um, and they they banned smoking on campus and everything, and uh, you would just, with no enforcement. So you would see groups of of people set up, sticking it to the man, smoking cigarettes, uh, but still in their own designated ways, kind of a self-governing aspect there. And they were all in the law school because they all knew there was nothing anybody could do about it. That's hilarious. That's how I feel about the new texting and driving law. It's like, 
oh, so this is a new law, except we're not actually going to enforce it till 2025. So have at it. <laughs> Get all your texts in in the next two years. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is when it goes into effect. But psych, not really, because you can't get pulled over for it. And it's only going to cause you any problems if you're doing something else wrong and you manage to, like, kill somebody in a car accident and then suddenly we can tack on 10 more years because you were texting and driving. Like, that's basically what it was before, distracted driving. This law currently, at least until 2025, has no teeth. I think they just make these laws to give people that that rake letters on signs something to do. Yeah. You know, you get the, like the the roads of the si- signs on the side of the highway say click or ticket. Or, yeah. Uh, but I don't know, there, there's usually something fun. They, whoever over, whoever they've got over there is up on the news and they usually make them pretty fun. And they're going to see some more of those. They're all just jobs programs. It's like pumping gas in New Jersey. So switching gears here a little bit, you spent some time in the swamp. You worked in D.C. on Capitol Hill. Uh, take me a little bit through what that experience was like and what you learned about politics in general and the people that decide to spend their lives doing this, you know, fr- from from living, eating, sleeping, breathing it for a while. Uh, yeah, D.C. Is a, is a unique place. Um there's really nowhere like it because it's made up of people that are from somewhere else. That's it's a quite the melting pot in that way, except that the only people that make up the melting pot are generally communists. They, um, the job out there is, it's very competitive. There's, uh, everybody out there wants to know who you work for. Kind of like in St. Louis, everybody wants to know what high school you went to. Uh, plot twist, not actually from St. Louis. I'm from rural Illinois. So my high school doesn't matter. Uh, but so we're out there in, in D.C. and they got uh, there's there, there's nothing but entertainment for kids to do. So all the kids want to move there. They think they're all hot shots. Um, and then you get thrown into the fire, which actually is real. Like, while well, it's a bunch of kids doing the job, the jobs are very hard and very important. And uh, there are a lot of people that take their public service very seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, were, you don't really get exposed to that when you hear you hear it on the news of congressmen and staffers out there partying and taking advantage of, of packs and money and everything. The cash is flowing. And um, it is like that, but these people do take their job seriously and they care about public service. They're not all evil people like the news makes them sound. Um, and that was a good, I think that was probably one of the most interesting things I learned from being there. Yeah. What do you think the, what do you think about the sentiment or the, uh, perception that dc really is just run by like a bunch of 20 something ex sorority sisters and frat brothers that you know were big deals in college and little fish in a big pond in dc they go up there and they're the ones writing all the tweets and they're the ones you know drafting all the legislation and they're the ones actually doing all the work is that accurate or is it a little misconceived um, i think that's about 75 percent right you run into, well, you know, the average age of Congress is like in their 50s and 60s. Uh, most of them don't know anything about how to use a computer. So they're always, there's always going to be some young people pulling the strings there. Uh, what, what, was, what really was interesting was whenever the government was shut down and um, everybody was furloughed, because then the kids were actually running everything. Many of my friends were um, 
furloughed and they were they were happy about it. The, the government shutdown made all of my friends very happy because we all had to hang out in the middle of the day. Uh, but so the, the offices would, that would send all their non-essential employees home would only have unpaid interns and like one chief of staff in there. Uh-huh. And so, so for two weeks, like the, the government was literally run by the kids. Right. Uh, uh, but, yeah. I, but, in like, I get, but I guess in like general, um, I'd say it's run by like 40-year-old chiefs of staff. Yeah. Yeah, and, and what are these chiefs of staff like as people? Because, you know, they're not that much different than a career politician where, you know, to get to that level where you're a congressman's chief of staff or even more, uh, you're a senator's chief of staff or, you know, you, um, or you're the chief of staff for, you know, some fill in the blank agency, right? They spend just as much time in the bubble away from real people and real society as the politicians do. So what say you? Chief, the, the, um, the chief of staff sort of breed, uh, there's, there's the chief of staff that, that elevate themselves from running a campaign and like have very little legislative experience. They're the ones that you actually have to watch out for because they don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And they think that they are the smartest guy in the room the whole time because they didn't have to put in all the work involved it takes to, to raise up through the ladders of Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, those guys are generally um, not the nicest people in the world. But when you get like a chief of staff that has worked for a lot of different members and at one time was like an intern and was all the way up and they've seen it all, that is a little bit better of a person to work for for two reasons one they they know that they're not hot shots um and secondly because they're experienced which is a bad thing they're like career bureaucrats at that point right they know all they know all the lobbyists and they know like what is up and like who to talk to on the news and all that and that's effective to like move legislation and stuff it doesn't always have the american people's ideas in mind um since these guys are good chief of staff they they've been moving bills for years and they're effective at it that doesn't mean that they're good um but they're not bad people the worst people are the ones that become chiefs of staff in their mid-20s and live in dc for the rest of their lives like complete psychos right you know you mentioned people who go through the campaign circuit and end up working on the hill uh there's a certain amount of arrogance that comes after you work and work really hard on a campaign and you come out victorious. I know that because I was a member of a core campaign team just last year and it, it's thrilling. It's a high. But then to see the people that actually take it all the way and move, uh, you know, move from their hometowns to go to DC, something I considered doing myself and I didn't do, um, cause I stayed home, you know, to get married and that was a choice I made. Um, there, those personality types are equally some of the most ambitious, hardworking people that I've ever met and equally some of like the most arrogant, you know, bleep holes I've ever met as well. And it's like balancing that and knowing whether or not you can palette that, if they're trustworthy, if they're good people. It's like, I don't know a whole lot of super salt of the earth people that dedicate their entire lives to being like a Capitol Hill staffer. They really get bad if they're if they were working on a campaign that that won by a lot, and then they end up being like a really minor member of Congress. That's a real reality check for those types of guys because they become instead of becoming 
from num- number two out of out of ten on a campaign, they're now number <laughs> number two, like four hundred members down. Mm-hmm. They, they get punched in the face a little bit, so it they they naturally get better at it. But if you don't realize it, if you don't realize that you get in there, you're now no longer the big guy on the team. Then you're going to be in for a load of trouble, and you're not going to make a lot of friends. The whole place is all based on friends, and I I realized this as I got. I, I was there for seven years. I've seen it all. I saw I saw three presidents, six congresses, uh, and every, every time the whole place turns over and you get new people in there. Um, and if you don't really kind of learn whether you're made you, you're you're made for that type of environment and personality, then you're not going to have any fun. I learned it and I got out. Some people don't ever learn it, and they either are really happy with it or they just live in hell for. Yeah. For years and years, is grueling trying to get up, and they're not going to make it. What is the type of personality that's made to be a Capitol Hill staffer for forty years? What What is that 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 person who goes in when they're twenty three and works their way up their whole lives and always lives in D.C.? You have to have a deep interest in policymaking. The news, the twenty four hour news cycle, has convinced everybody that they all know the ins and outs of what tax policy looks like. And they can, they can sum it down into three paragraphs, but it's like 3,000 pages of, of info. You have to be really committed to knowing the, the nuts and bolts of how policy is crafted and made. There's the people that are good at moving stuff that have great like personalities and are good people, 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 people I guess. Yeah. <laughs> people, person, people. <laughs> Uh, they, they can move stuff or whatever, but like when push comes to shove and they need to like decide if something is good or like provide actual good advice to their member, they probably can't do it if they just learn it from the news. Hmm. Yeah. So you, you, come, you come out of college, like it's tough to know like where you're at. So you can't really judge the people in their twenties um, about that. But if, they, if by the time that they, they've worked through a couple congresses and they're not ready to craft policy with the best of them, then they're not going to make it. Is it as competitive and sharky as people say it is? Like, oh, if you're going to go work up in Capitol Hill, like, you got to have a thick skin because everybody's mean and out to get you and you can't trust anybody. Is that how they live their lives? Yes, that is the core of it. That is definitely how the business is, and I understand how that, that, that is the case. Um, but then it bleeds over into your regular life, and you can't get away from it, especially in D.C. since everybody does the same thing. Everybody's, like, either a consultant, works in media, or worked in uh, some uh, level of government. There's, you always have something to talk about with your friends about work, right? Um, that's my favorite thing about not being there is now I can have actual friends that I don't work with because right. we all have individual lives that we're living. Out there, everybody's living three lives. So it bleeds over, and you live your life, like, competitively, and your personal friendships are watered down so much. That you don't, you, you just don't have intimately close friends that you can trust because you all work together and you all are competing for the same promotions and everything. That's got to be hard. Well, now you work in uh, in and around the Jeff City situation, which is a you know our state capital. And how would you compare that culture to Washington D.C.'s culture? Everybody in Jeff City wishes they lived in D.C. They're all, they all act that way, but like 20% less, but they think they're doing it 20% more. <laughs> and, uh, it's still a lot of fun. You're going to see this with anything. There's always internal politics and corporations and offices 
Uh, Jeff City is just a small swamp. Um, one thing about Jeff City, though, is that it is a lot more effective than Washington. That probably comes with majorities everywhere, but for the Republicans. Uh, but in general, just having less people in the building makes it easier to navigate the, the stuff. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, uh, I think state lobbyists are a lot more powerful than federal ones because they're uh, – Federal lobbyists have a lot more competition to go with, and a lot of times they're just representing one corporation or something. In the state, there's there's lobbyists that represent so many different things, and it's uh, they can kind of build a portfolio of of clients and just bulldoze everybody because of that. Right. It's bad what comes with the small, but I like Jeff City a lot. I think that um, state government provides representatives that are a lot closer to the people. Uh, Jeff City is just full of farmers, pretty much. Um, and we're all a bunch of farmers. And so that's a lot better than letting uh, career bureaucrats that are all corporate executives or lawyers or doctors to kind of tell us how, how to live our lives. The problem with, you know, Missouri politics, if you're a Republican, is then you have to deal with a lot more Republican infighting than I bet happens up in D.C. where it's, you know, you know, the Democrats are almost irrelevant here in Missouri. And so you have to navigate, you know, who's who's on whose team, who's in whose clique. It's it feels almost like high. anytime I've observed I I have a lot of legislator friends and anytime I hear them talk about what their experience is like. It sounds like high school. It sounds like high school drama with high school cliques and high school groups. And you have the jocks and instead of it, instead of the jocks and the chess crowd, you have like, oh, the pro school choice, anti school choice crowd or, oh, uh, pro farming, blankety blank pro, you know, it's just a higher like academic level of high school drama, which seems to be really exhausting for some of these people who are very optimistic when they get into office and they're disappointed and let down when they find out how annoying it can be. Yeah, that's exactly what happens to the chief of staff that come in all hot and into Washington. That, 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 like, you guys got to have something to fight over, right? There's no Democrats to, to ruffle any feathers. So they just, you fight against each other. It's a very na- natural thing to do, of course. Um, I think that what we need to remember, though, when we're when we're doing all the infighting, is that everybody is on the same team at the end of it, um, and the Missouri Republicans forget about that a lot. They try to sabotage. Little two or three guys will come in there and try to sabotage the entire thing, um, while they, what, no matter what it said, they could have beat the Democrats by like forty percent in the voting. Right? Like, mm-hmm. it's all just a little game that, that grown men are playing because they don't have anything to do. Right. Man, Jake, I'm going to have to have you back on because I had all these plans to ask you about like the presidential field and stuff and what your um, analysis was on that. And we ended up getting on a totally different conversation that was fascinating because you offer a very unique perspective as somebody who has worked both um, intimately in state politics and in federal, you know, Washington, D.C. politics. And so I think that's really insightful and something our listeners definitely wanted and needed to hear. But... That just means you're going to have to come back on the show with me and we can talk a little presidential drama, especially after we uh, all watched the debates a couple weeks ago and, you know, things are actually starting to 
get heated in the in the races. So we'll have you back on. Thank you so much for your time this morning, and we look forward to next time. Yes, thank you, Cass. I'm sure your listeners will be right on the edge of their seat for Jake Part 2. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Jake Loft, the one and only, ladies and gentlemen. Here's your weekly dose of Uncommon Sense with Cass. Brought to you by College of the Ozarks. Developing citizens of Christ-like character who are well-educated, hardworking, and patriotic. On 93.3 and AM 560, KWTO. All right, as promised, more Uncommon Sense from me, oh wise one, Cass Bowen Anderson. And I have a very special guest. His name is Alex Bryant. And you hear him every morning on Wake Up Springfield. I have to deal with his face every single day at a way too early hour, along with Don Luzader's face and Chris Russell's face. I get way too much of their faces. But nevertheless, wait, wait, is this supposed to be an introduction of a brother? You have to deal with my face or you get to see my beautiful face. Which one is it? Well, anybody's face before 6 a.m. is just another face to me. All right. then. All right. Then, all right. But welcome to the show. Pastor Alex Bryant. What's up? It's Your good debut to be here. on Uncommon Sense with Cass. I am going to start off with a question that is extremely complex, and there's not any way that we have enough time to fully break it down and break it apart, but this is this is what I'm going to lead in with, and I just want to get your thoughts. Let's do it. When you hear the term Christian nationalism, what's your reaction? Man, you know, I don't think that there's such a thing, um, you know, because as Christians, we are supposed to... You know, nationalism is about where your allegiance is. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, nationalism, when you think about, that's one of the problems that a lot of white evangelicals had with Donald Trump because they said that it elicits for the Christian um, community that we're, we're being nationalistic. It's like God loves our country more than he loves your country. Um, God blessed our country more than he blessed your country. And really, truly, if you're, if you're going to look at nationalism in the Bible, it's Israel. I mean, God, God made a covenant with Abraham. He made a, you know, a, a pact with those guys and he said, I'm going to bless those that bless you, curse those that curse you. So, I mean, and there's no replacement theology. God has never came and said, I like someone else better than I like Israel or even replacing Christians with, you know, Israel. No, God still has a special covenant with Israel and he's coming back, you know, um, you know, to Israel. And so, um, when you look at the term nationalism, I mean, as Americans, we can't say, God loves our country better than he loves anyone else. Now, we are very blessed. America's great. I would even say we're exceptional. Um, but, you know, so when you're talking about being a Christian, our allegiance is to Christ first. You know, it's, you know, um, God the Father, God the Son, we are, we are Christians. So, um, there's a difference between nationalism and patriotism, though. And so I, I think that the term Christian nationalism um, that's almost a type of religion and that's not, that's not good. Although it's affiliated with Christianity, it's, it's not good. I think it's putting politics above, um, the theology of Christ and that's not good. Do you feel that there is a special kind of sect of Republicans right now that are almost making Donald Trump or the MAGA movement in general, um, like the second coming of Christ. Yeah. I mean, you see that and that's what repels some other Christians who happen to be Republican or who like the Republican platform, but are going, no, you, this guy's very flawed. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
<laughs> you can't you can't deny that. I mean, Trump is very flawed. I mean, he came on the scene. You know, if you're looking at from what a, a Christian would look at or the natural characteristics or traits that you'd want a Christian to be, because you know, Trump says, "Yeah, I'm I'm a Christian. I like two Corinthians." You know, <laughs> so, <laughs> but I, you know, and then you hear him say, "He does have you? Has he ever sought forgiveness?" He says, "Well, I don't know that I do anything bad enough to be forgiven." So he he's not. I'm not trying to judge him based on condemning him, like saying, you know, he's going to hell. But he, when you when you judge based on the the fact that the Bible teaches us to discern things, I mean, he doesn't doesn't appear to be a follower of Christ, if you will. Um, and so, there are some Christians that put him on the pedestal, like you know, some of them that went so far with the prophecies, yeah, you know, the prophetic stuff, and then you know, some of the prophecy the prophecies are wrong. I mean, and so what do you do with that? You know, in the Bible, if you had a false prophet that had a false prophecy, what should we do? Let's get the stones and start stoning them, right? I remember that leading into, um, you know, the inauguration, even on inauguration day for Biden, there were people posting all sorts of, you know, rants on Facebook saying, trust me, it's going to happen. Donald yeah. Trump will be our president even after the election, yeah. like I, this prophet said this or this prophet said that. And I want to be very careful not to condemn people who are, you know, righteously you know, practicing prophecy and utilizing that gift of the spirit. But again, like discern everything. And Donald Trump is not. I mean, first of all, you're right. The United States of America is not Israel. We are not God's chosen no. nation. And he has no promise to us. No. And at best, we were a nation that was founded on Christian principles, which maybe set us above in favor for a while in blessing. Because when you walk with Christ, when you walk in God's plan and design and order, you receive blessing from that. But I would argue that we're not really doing that anymore as a nation. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we need to stay friends with Israel and support them because God says, I'll bless he said it to Abraham through the na- the nation of Israel through Abraham. Those that bless you, I'm going to bless. So we want to be friends of Israel. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's important for us to have a pro-Israel um, president. I think that Christians here in America that know that realize that and we push to support Israel. And we have, I think, overall. I mean, obviously, it looks like the Obama was pulling away from it. And, you know, the, the Democrat Party, they don't seem to, some of them don't seem to know the importance of that. That's one of the things about Ramaswamy. Christians are going, wait, does this guy know our special relationship with them? It's more than just, um, you know, as far as, you know, you look at democracy, you know, because they are, a, you know, democracy in that region. But also we believe that it's spiritual reasons. I mean, we want to be friends. We want to be blessed by God, you know, and stuff. And so, yeah. You, you bring up an interesting point. Something I noticed happen within 24 hours of the last debate all of a sudden, Vivek Ramaswamy came out, guns a-blazing, <laughs> sounding very Trumpian, saying all the right things. And everybody was like, yes. And he got on the radars of all of these like white evangelical yeah. Christians. And then within 24 hours, they're like, whoa, who is this guy? We love this guy. And then they researched and they found out he's Hindu. Nope. And like that, they dropped him. Oh no! That no, no. one thing made yeah. them all drop him. I mean, we've moved to the point in America where... It's not whether well, he's a black guy. Because, I mean, 10 years ago, that was an issue. 2015, when Obama came on the scene, it was like, Yeah, I don't, I don't know that know. people care anymore. No, they don't. I mean, it's, you know, first of all, we're a very mixed race in our country. But people have moved past that. I think Obama broke the race barrier with that. And so, and, and you know, we saw he did a good job. But so, but 
um, you still have, there's two things with Ramaswamy. The youth thing, Cass. I mean, I know you are very He's proponent. He's not that young. He's, He's like a young guy. 40. He's a young guy to us. He's a young guy to us old whippersnappers. Since when is 40 young? Elijah R. is 40-something. He doesn't And he look was young. Speaker of the House in his 30s. That's all I want to say. And Elijah doesn't look young. He's got all kinds of gray hair nowadays. I don't think he's going to listen to this, so I can I can clown him a little bit. But anyway, <laughs> but he's, Ramaswamy has a young, youthful energy. He's first millennial he to ever run. He's a baby run. face. He's the first millennial, millennial to ever run for president. So but that's one thing. But then, you, Cass, the reality is I had so many of my white pastor friends go, oh, watch this Hindu guy. He's got a secret agenda. We just don't trust what's not like us. You know, so Christians, you know, even when even when JFK was running for president, he was a Catholic. People didn't. They were like, "Well, are you going to have a Catholic president?" You know, I mean, people look. Religion is deep, and even though rooted. Catholicism is the most popular religion in the United I States mean, of America, I really think so. But so, the, but those have been issues and stuff. And so, um, you know, he got on the radar, Ramaswamy, and then people, white friends that are pastors and that are good Christian people, are like I don't know if we trust the Hindu, you know. And um, I think um, Christianity today did an article on it about how um um indian um christians don't like him you know i mean they're like they don't trust him and so they're, man they're- and it it hurts because i love the guy <laughs> and i think that he's brilliant and the most yes. sharp well-spoken one up there and i love his youth yeah. i love that about him and i just wish with all of my being that he was a christian all of my being. I see it. In your, I wish that people could see you because you're like you're like despair, like ah, you know. And he is brilliant. I mean, I read his first book, Woke Inc. I'm reading his second book on capitalism, and I I I can usually go through a book pretty quickly. He is so smart. I have to stop and think about and look up some of the stuff he's talking about with capitalism and BlackRock and how you know the the um the um, equity scores as far as like you know for global warming. He is so smart. This dude reminds me of Donald Trump when Donald Trump came on the scene and he started talking about the trade imbalances that we never even heard of. I'd never heard a politician talking like that. Like when Trump was saying China, we're $5 billion a year or $500 billion a year trade deficit. I'm like, what What's he talking about? I, I never heard of someone talking like that yeah. and, and how, you know, the United Nations, we're paying more than we should. And, and so, but Ramaswamy's that guy. He, he is smart. And that's why I think that he would be, fantastic as the president and and, you know donald trump's not some sort of moral high ground he doesn't have like a moral high ground over ramaswamy right i mean love him love him or hate him i would vote for donald trump again i really would not in a primary but in the general i would do it (laughs) but you cannot deny that he does have an extremely morally flawed past as we all do but his is you know especially so Right? You know, Why do we just ignore that? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something. I don't talk. I don't usually go this publicly. Okay, but the thing is, is that if you realize this though, politicians and leaders are flawed. Yeah. Now let me just give you a prime example. Martin Luther King, Jr. If if we were in the day and age of social media, we would never have a civil rights movement because mm-hmm. he was very flawed. He was alcoholic. I mean, historians come out and say he's an alcoholic. Smoke like a you know, crazy, um, serial cusser. I mean, swore like nobody's business. Cheated on his wife. I mean, the FBI. So if you look at all those things, the Christians would not have followed him. He would not have had the moral high ground because they would have tried to expose that on social media. We would never have a civil rights movement. So our leaders are flawed. So that's why when I look at somebody like a Donald Trump and I go, 
Yeah, he's flawed, but so is Martin Luther King. I believe that you can still be flawed and still do great things. And so that's where we have to get away from identity politics to where we're just looking at the person and say, like, you know, I said to a lot of my friends, I'm not, I'm not asking Trump to be a pastor in chief. The man is a fighter. The man's putting America first. I think that he knows the difference between patriotism and nationalism. I don't look at the MAGA movement as being nationalistic. I, I'm not, I'm not thinking that he's some savior that God's ordaining him to be the president any more than he did anyone. Now, I believe that if you look and say, because all leaders, according to Romans 13, they're all God. You know, God's placed them all in place, right? Whether they're good or bad. You know, so from that perspective, but no, he's not some great savior. He's not going to lead us in a moral revival, but he's going to lead our country as the president should, like close to business, take care of America business, keep us safe, you know, work, worry about our economy. Um, and so those are things that I, I look at from there. I, I try to look at it rationally instead of, you know, the other way. Unfortunately, I don't know that all of the people within the MAGA movement agree with you because there are still, I see them all the time on my social media feed, especially because we live in Southwest Missouri and the demographic that we live within is unique. And I see them all the time talking about how, you know, Donald Trump is the guy that God has ordained to lead us into, you know, a a revival, a moral Christian revival. And that's going to, that does not help us at all as a party. That kind of, rhetoric does not help us at all and then you have the other side saying what you're saying is oh it doesn't really matter what you know kind of moral flaws he has um as long as he's good on economic policy and he can lead us into you know a a better thriving economy etc 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 be hard on china etc but where's that same attitude when it comes to like a ramaswamy where then all of a sudden that christian thing is like the most important thing i want to reclarify my position because I'm not saying it doesn't matter how he lives. I wish that he would be more moral. I think that the the office of the president changed him. I mean, I read Sarah um, um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders' book. Yeah, I always get that confused. Thanks for jumping in. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I read her book, and she talked about how she had a special relationship with Trump and how he respected her and said, I like working with you Christians because you Christians are honest people. Like, she made an influence on him. I mean, you know, he would ask her stuff as the press secretary, she became kind of somewhat of an advisor. That's that's kind of what you're doing as in, you're influencing. And so um, I think that Trump, you know, with some of the pastors that he was starting to, you know, connect with and ask questions, I think that he was moving towards his own spiritual awakening, if you will. Um, but Are you saying he's maybe he wasn't, a, a, you know, a born-again believer? I, I mean, again, I'm not judging anybody, but yes, no, I don't think the fruit showed that he was or even still is. I mean, I've not heard him say I made a profession of faith in Christ Jesus. So I, does that make that. him any different than Ramaswamy? No, it doesn't in my mind. But see, that's where I'm now notice when I, when I talked about um, some of the Christians that are going away from Ramaswamy, it doesn't, it's not disqualifying to me that you don't have my faith. I want you to be a man of faith or right. a person of faith, because I think faith is one of those um, characteristics that y- you're living for something bigger than yourself. Mm-hmm. I, I wish that they were, they had my faith. I wish that Trump had my faith. I wish Ram Swamy had my faith um, because I think that, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, about what you're going to do with Jesus. But I just want to be a man of faith. So for me, it doesn't disqualify me. I said a lot of my friends and I said mm, white right. evangelicals, they don't <laughs> like that. I mean, you know, I can look past that, you know, and stuff. But at the same time, I'm definitely not in the into the whole. And I have a lot of friends who are Trump is it's been prophesied. I have a I know a lot of people that are like that. I have conversations with them all the time. 
and they don't like my my stance, my position on it. No, I don't think that, you know, God ordained Trump to lead. Now, if you're going to say that God ordained Trump to lead, then I'm going to say God ordained Obama as well. Because I, I believe Romans 13 goes into it. Like all leaders are appointed by God and God knows them. So if, if God especially put Trump in office, then he put Obama there and they'd go, no, that man was the devil. <laughs> I mean, you know, so that's my take on it, you know, so. Yeah. And that leads me back to kind of wanting to jump back on the DeSantis train that I was very firmly on before Ramaswamy started catching my attention. And I was like, oh, who is this guy? I really like this guy. I used to tweet out all the time that I am so a DeSantis groupie. And then he came out on the campaign trail and he started getting a little, you know, he he wasn't as flashy as he was as the governor. He wasn't as um, he, he didn't throw out those one-liners and have those spars with the media and all of this stuff. And maybe it's because the campaign trail has not offered him the opportunity to do so yet. I don't know. I'd, maybe we've written him off too soon. But it leads me back to DeSantis being like, okay, DeSantis is pretty much as intelligent and sharp and witty as Ramaswamy and Trump. But he is a man of faith. Confidently, I can probably say that. And he, you know... He, he's living a two-parent children lifestyle. He's, you know, a, a, a true American through and through who doesn't seem to have any sort of baggage at all. So does that lead us back to saying that DeSantis is our safest choice? No, here's the reality of it. I mean, I'm a, I'm a realist, okay? Um, it's just not his time. And I've said this to you before. He would be smart. He would have been wise to, like, not get on Trump's. He could have just, he could have easily tiptoed right into the White House. He could have gone four years of VP and then eight years of the White House if he would have just played along. Sometimes you got to go along to play along. You got to play along to get along. And so because the MAGA country is strong and deep and they want Trump back there, there's a lot of people to do. And so, so you're saying it's just Trump's time and we have time. to accept it? It's just, and I'm not saying God's saying that. I'm just saying you gotta re- you gotta look at the reality of the situation. Trump feels like he has unfinished business, and I mean I think I think he was cheated in that last election. I mean I know they didn't prove stuff, but if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. I mean there was there was irregularities left and right over there. He feels like he was cheated. There's still and then so if you mix that in with people who believe that God placed him there, then it's it's not only is it uh, Trump you know versus you know Biden, but it's God. It's good versus evil. That's how some people look at this. And so it's inevitable. Those, because Cass, just like on the, with some of our, um, left people, their God is global warming. I, 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 I honestly believe their religion is like, you know, AOC, she believes like to, with everything within her, it's, you know, we have to save the planet. We have to, you know, global. And so it's religion to them. and, And that's the core of what you are and who you are. And I just been around long enough to know that when people feel that strongly about something, when they take it to their spiritual, um, their soul beliefs, they're not going to, they're going to move from that very quickly. Alternative perspective though on DeSantis and the, the timing of it is that there are a lot of strategists that are saying that this was the only time DeSantis could capitalize on the press he is getting from being governor. Like the whole thing that DeSantis had going for him was he was America's governor. Right. He's, he was America's governor. He fought COVID tyranny and he, you know, that, that's his brand. Yeah. I, I see that, but I disagree. I think that 
like the pugnants that try to tell us these things and the pollsters, they've just proved to be wrong so many times. What they do is they give an opinion. If they can get four people say, yeah, then they just try to tout that nationally. Like, hey, this is what we're all saying. So then who do you trust? Like, if if you I don't trust, trust pollsters, you can't trust campaign advertising. You can't trust, you know, I you trust can't trust gut. any news outlets. Who, what do you go to for your political perspective? Here's how I do it for me, all right? I look at a lot of different stuff. Like, I, I watch Fox News. I watch CNN. I mean, I'll probably watch CNN 20% of the time. I mean, because I want to see what they're saying. I read, um, and then I, I look at the word because I know the end game of it, right? I yeah. know I know where it's all going to come to. And and then I, I pray, and, and I just use my own thoughts and wisdom. And I mean, I just kind of, I mean, I, it, so it goes back to this in, in, in um, Second Chronicles um, 12, or maybe it's First Chronicles 12, when they talk about the men of Issachar. You know, um, when all the people were coming to try to make David the king and it says there were men from the tribe of Benjamin, 20,000 soldiers from Ephraim and 15,000 soldiers, people that were good with the bow, people that were good with the, you know, the arrow, people that were good with the sword, left hand or right hand. And then it said from the tribe of Issachar, 200 men, chiefs who were able to read the times and know what Israel ought to do. I try to be one of those men of Issachar, one of those wise men. I think it's first Chronicles 1232 who are able to see things, who are able to understand the times, put it together, and then know what we should do in leading forward. That's one of the reasons why I'm trying to do this radio thing, because I feel like we need people that are able to see the sides, both sides. We talked about a story about this girl that was shot in um, in um, Columbus. And yeah, it sucks that this young girl was shot and killed, and I know that there's going to be people on both sides, but I feel like my job and my role is is to try to get us to see each other's side, to move forward together. Because that's the bigger picture of it. And so that's for me. I, I don't get so caught up in my side has to win, you know, at the expense of the other side. I, most of my family live in Florida are black and they're Democrat. And I love them. They're just wrong people, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Dan Bongino says, you know, I remember him saying this. I remember him saying it a couple of years ago. Usually the left looks at the right as, as bad people with ideas. We usually look at them as people with bad ideas. See, there's a difference there. And and I hope that the younger generation gets that. We should never start to look at the other side as bad people that just have ideas. They're they're people. They're our cousins, our friends, our neighbors. They just have bad ideas, you know? Yeah. And so I can look at them differently with compassion, with love, and with unity. And so and I try to convince them. Goodness, I wish we had more time because something you said just like probably a minute and a half ago would have led me into the conversation about where are you at on this? We're on the brink of downfall as a society and as a culture and end times are coming and all of this stuff, you know, some of that narrative that's going around. And I really want to get your opinion on that, but we will just have to wait till the next episode of Uncommon Sense with Cass because we have so much more to talk about. This has been Alex Bryant. He is on with me and Chris and Don every morning on Wake Up Springfield weekday mornings from 530 to 9. Um, but now he gets to be on my show. I'm the lead now. What's up? What's up? All right. We'll be back with just a couple more minutes of Uncommon Sense with Cass right after this. Here's your weekly dose of Uncommon Sense with Cass. Brought to you by College of the Ozarks. Developing citizens of Christ-like character who are well-educated, hardworking, and patriotic. On 93.3 and AM 560, KWTO. Okay, we just have a few more minutes left here on Uncommon Sense with Cass. I want to thank you guys so much for 
everybody who listens to every episode and everybody who is a loyal listener of our radio station. It means so much to us. It means the world, the whole crew here at KWTO. Um, I did want to invite you guys out to an event that supports a fantastic organization. On September 19th, I will be the keynote speaker for um, the Choices Crisis Pregnancy Center's Banquet. And this is a free event to attend, but you do have to reserve a seat. So if you go on um, to the Choices Crisis Pregnancy Center website um, or their Facebook page, you can find the link to reserve a seat at a table there. And I will be sharing my story um, of adoption and how I was adopted and what that meant to me and how um, I was born out of a crisis pregnancy, one of the most crisis of crisis pregnancies, and my life was worthwhile and my birth mother was able to still thrive in her life um, despite all odds and that every life is precious regardless of the circumstances in which they came to be. Um, and so, yeah, that's a Tuesday night and it's right here in Springfield at the University Plaza Hotel and Convention Center. I think the event starts at 630 and there will be a dinner served. But like I said, you have to reserve a seat. And please, if you plan to attend and you plan to take up a seat, also plan to donate at the end of that event because it is a fundraiser after all. And please don't take up a seat if you can't donate to the cause. What they're trying to do is build a bigger, better facility so that they can reach more women and that they can take care of more families and young babies as they come into this world through crisis pregnancies. So it's really important that if you come, you do donate. And if you come, bring some friends who also want to donate. So whatever you can do to help. Also, in the last couple minutes here, I wanted to share a quick story um, that I saw out of the University of Wyoming where there was a sorority that a biological male decided to join. And this biological male was not even a trans female that was trying very hard to pass as a female. Um, he was, he is like a six foot something hefty, broad looking dude. I mean, like you could not mistake him for being a male if you tried. And he, um, he fought to join the sorority. He fought to live in the sorority house with the sorority sisters. And turns out that he made some of them extremely uncomfortable. And I'm going to say something that's not super savory, but is the facts of the case. Some of the ladies claimed that he would, you know, get it up when he would see them changing and, you know, all of these things. So they sued to have him removed from the sorority house, at least. And the Wyoming judge struck it down, would not would not take a stand, would not define what a woman is. The judge's exact words were, I am not going to define in court what a woman is today. And to me, that's just the epitome of the dangers of how far the delusion of the transgender movement has gone. There are sorority sisters who risked complete peer humiliation and social isolation to stand up for what they believed in and to stand up to defend their women's spaces. And they lost. And I, and I'm sad for them. So, uh, 
Keep them in your thoughts and prayers as they move forward in their college journey is a difficult time um, already without all of this nonsense. So more from Uncommon Sense with Cass next week. Don't go anywhere.